another edition of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And uh, today we decided to watch uh, the new Eli Roth film, Green Inferno. Yeah, the Green Inferno. <laughs> this is his, what, third or fourth film right now? As a director, I think, uh, actually, yeah, I think this was his third, and I think that he's done one since as a director, but he's produced lots of other films, too. That's true. Uh, Knock mm-hmm. Knock was the other one he did, right, as a director, yeah. more recently? Yeah, and I saw that recently, and it was terrible! Was it really? <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. It was one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Oh, no kidding. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Okay, Awful. well, that's good to know. You know, I... I... <laughs> I saw Cabin Fever, right, which was his first one, mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed that one. I thought it showed a guy who clearly enjoys horror movies and has a sense of humor about them that he's not afraid to just splash up there. It was a little self-referential. It was a little like horror movies tend to be in this post-Scream era, right, right. where we sort of make movies about movies, which I it gets kind of old after right. a while. But there was something about Cabin Fever that just seemed a little more fun uh, than that. Yeah. I I mean, I'm kind of touch and go with him. I liked uh, Cabin Fever a lot, too. I thought Hostel, part one, which he also directed, was good for what it was. Yeah. Um, And I actually thought that Hostel, part two, which he also directed, was better than the first one. But then, you know, there have been a couple that... Well, I I mean, I guess that's really kind of all he's he's directed. I think we named them all. Right. And Knock Knock was horrible, you said. It, well, I really didn't like it, uh, and it's it's funny because the one of the the principal stars of that film was the young lady who in this movie plays the lead, Alejandro, or no, not Alejandro, Justine, Justine. Yes, and uh, that's his wife, Eli Roth's wife, hmm. and uh, she wasn't bad in the movie. I just thought that the I, I just I just hated the whole premise, the whole script. I just didn't care for it at all. Mm. But but I, I kind of know what you're talking about, because that's I with the post-Scream kind of feel, because I kind of felt the same way about this one. It's got yeah. kind of a cynicism to it. Like, it wants to be self-aware, and it wants to kind of be kind of in-jokey, and it just tonally it felt a little weird, especially in the beginning. Like, in the beginning, it almost felt like we were watching, like, a college campus comedy. It- for a while. Tried too hard. Is that what you're getting at? Well, right. And the the characters seem to be too, I don't know. Cut, just, carbon copy. Right. Pulled from other films. Right, right. You know, just your cynical 20-somethings, very self-involved, think that they can save the world. That whole opening part, I was just kind of feeling, uh, this is just all right. I mean, once they got to the Amazon, I thought things took a turn for the better for me. What did you think? Well... You're right. The movie start. I, I was very unimpressed with it starting out. Extremely unimpressed. Actually, it felt really amateurish. It did not seem like this guy's a fourth film. After I really felt like his previous movies were more or less felt really professional. I, Cabin Fever was a little, but once you get to Hostel and the others, the quality of the acting was pretty good. Right. The quality of the dialogue, which he wrote, if I'm not mistaken, was pretty good in those films. I agree. In this, I felt the dialogue was terrible. It, it, yeah. it was forced, and it sounded like he was trying really hard to make that kind of goofy college film with characters who were saying clever, witty things that right. weren't clever and witty. Right, right. But they were played that way. Right, especially, you've got the main girl, Justine, and in the beginning, she has this kind of emo roommate. Beautiful girl, but it just, the character seemed really forced. I mean, she's saying just the... Yeah. The quippiest kind of stuff. and She was too like, emo. Yeah, it, that's so gay and that's so retarded. You know, stuff that is even dated for 2015. Quite you know? honestly. People don't really talk like that very much <laughs> they anymore. Don't. And this is firmly planted <clears throat> in what's supposed to be, you know... 2015. Of right. course, the movie was shot in 2013. I don't know if two, if two years makes that Maybe big of a difference. Maybe it does. I don't know. Uh, have, a, have we changed that much since? But but even so, I think the quality of the acting was bad. It was over the top. In yeah. her case, especially. So I go to this party and Scott's like, you should totally rush. And I'm like, that's retarded. That's where idiots were stupid enough to go to Dartmouth. I'm on a hunger strike. You're one of them, I can tell. Or I'm just not hungry. Or you secretly want to starve yourself. Duh, what girl does it? None of those girls give a f about the janitors. They just don't want to look like they're anorexic. None of them. Not one. So what are they doing on the lawn at nine on a Sunday? The only thing those posers care about 
is looking like they care. It's just some weird demonstration to appease their fucking white, stupid, suburban Jewish guilt. Hi, I'm Jewish. I'm allowed to say that. Oh, it's the whole time. And I got really sick of seeing her on the screen. And I'm not often that way. I can put up with a lot, but I really couldn't wait for that character to go away. Yeah, and I'm not sure who that actress is. I don't remember her name. I, I, I think that she's not famous for acting. I think that she's a musician, I believe. Mm. And her IMDb page, she's got a few credits, but not very many. So, no. you know, maybe she's just, you know, a little bit out of her element. I think that they initially when they cast her, they kind of made a big deal out of it. I think that she was kind of a name. Again, I don't really know who she is, but I'm old, so uh, who knows. But um, Did you ever even catch her character's name no, in the movie? No, I no. didn't either. And I was really pretty relieved when she didn't end up going on the <laughs> on the trip with well, them. At the same time, I was, I was shocked that she didn't because I thought, I was thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be just like this kind of movie where somehow she's going to get roped in. The one woman who was cynical right. about her roommate getting wrapped up in these causes. That's the other thing that I thought was really stupid about the beginning of the movie was it seemed like these college kids are obsessed with causes. Right. And I know that that is part of the point that he was trying to make in the movie, but it came across really forced and fake. Like, no college kid is spending their day and their night, I don't care if you're a freshman, uh, obsessed with the people who are petitioning outside of their window, and then very interested in the leader of that group, and looking at him and glancing at him from afar in the cafeteria, and right. out and about. It seems like every conversation they have is revolving around uh, how stupid it is, how gay it is to be involved right. in some cause. And not a particular cause. Right. It's just the whole notion of being involved in activism. Well, I really, I, I really think that that is the social commentary that he was going for. I think that he was trying to be critical of the part of our culture, probably particularly youth co culture, you know, college age kids who claim to have these really noble motives for their cause. But really that, you know, that annoying girl, <laughs> the annoying roommate in the beginning, somebody, she said something about this group who is protesting on campus for health insurance for their custodians. The group is called ACT. Uh, don't think ACT. But the girl says, these people only care about looking like they care. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that that is a big part of what he's trying to get at, that these and really, I guess our main character, Justine, kind of has really some naive notion that she can really make a difference. But as it turns out, the leaders of the group really do only care about the publicity and really do only care about, you know, how many reshared tweets they get or, you know, making the front page of Reddit because of their activism or whatever. The cause really is secondary, but it's a good ploy for getting their faces on the Internet. Yeah. Yeah, and I agree, and I and I can see clearly that that's what he was trying to do. But didn't you feel like it was clunky and forced the it way did. they were ham fisting this down? This girl, <laughs> I think we both laughed out loud when this girl Justine, who's clearly on the fence, it's like she's curious about activism and she wants to get involved, but it's like she has no experience with it. But there's an allure because she's a freshman, and it's not quite clear what the allure is until she gets in that classroom where it must be an anthropology class or right. something, and the teacher is talking about female genital mutilation. She's describing it, she's holding up a tool that shows that they've got pictures going, and immediately she gets incensed. It's like, ah, now I've found the cause that I can really get pissed off about. And she raises her hand and she's like, somebody needs to do, we need to get the lawyers in on this. And she says, It's insane. There's an ambassador in East 44th Street who should be doing something about this. My father's a lawyer at the UN. Of course he is. <laughs> right. Why wouldn't he be? And, but then, okay, as clunky as that was to slip that in, and it does end up being uh, important to the story that her right. father is. So if your father is a lawyer for the UN, how are you coming from a position where you don't know anything about activism 
and uh, it, this seems like such a foreign thing to you. It, it doesn't even jive with right. who, who, what her character's background would be. I mean, I guess it's supposed to highlight her immaturity, and I think that that was something that, again, a little bit more social commentary. You know, she goes and this this class must just be kind of a survey because, you know, she, the, the professor talks about female mutilation for like three or four minutes. And then now let's move on to the ant problem. Like here's, here's the problems in Africa, you know, just real quick, run them off. But you know, her response, obviously from our cultural perspective, we are going to have a very negative response to the concept of female, uh, female genital mutilation. But I think that what some people fail to believe, and I'm certainly not supporting the practice at all, but it's something that's ingrained in their culture. You know, to to just have a knee-jerk reaction where, oh, these are savages who we need to civilize, you know, that's that's a really imperialistic view. Attitude. Right. And, yeah. it, you know, that's something that's been explored in, in film and literature <laughs> in a much more intellectual and, and interesting way, you know, like Heart of Darkness or... or even Apocalypse Now or, or something like that. Uh, and I, I guess I think what he's trying to do is is kind of highlight our ignorance and our ethnocentricity. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But yeah. you're but you're right. It does it just it's very heavy handed. It's like, okay, we have to establish this in the beginning so that we can just get them there and start chopping people up. Yeah. Um it you know, it doesn't really seem like much like with the students in, in the film, it doesn't really seem like the cause is really at the forefront. That's true. <clears throat> well, and that's the thing. You know, these cannibal films started out really making a social statement that was almost the opposite of this film. That whereas this film seems to be the main message is don't get involved yeah. <laughs> in, in causes because you're stupid and you can't actually do anything. The message of the earlier films, you know, we've both seen Cannibal Holocaust, uh-huh. which documents a group of people, who, and we're going to have to do that on the show sometime. Right. But, I mean, the gist of it is it's a group of people who go into make ostensibly make a documentary, but end up treating the natives pretty horribly. Yeah. And as a result, the natives turn the tables on them. And it sort of shows that they're out of their element, but in a way that they're being imperialist. They're right. not trying to save these natives. No. They're not activists, they're jerks. Right. And they're getting their comeuppance. This is a movie where people are genuinely trying to be to make a difference in the world. And much like the tribes who are you can say the general mutilation is awful, but right. it's just ingrained in their culture. They don't know that it's medically, you know, dismissive and doesn't actually do anything. Right. The same thing with these kids. They're naive, but that's what you are when you're a freshman right. in high school sure. or college. And that comes from a good place. So I almost see the message of this movie as a really crappy message, in a sense. I realize it's just a framework for showing us some gore. Right. And, but if he's trying to make a statement with this movie, it's kind of a crummy statement, I think. Um, it's not fair. It's not fair to these characters who are genuinely trying to do some good things to show that, yeah, don't do that because uh, you're so naive you're going to get yourself killed. Right. Well, and and I guess I I guess part of the message is leave well enough alone. It's really none of your concern. You know, mm. these these people are you know, in the end, spoilers always, guys, uh, but Justine is the only one to to make it out. I mean, this is a a big group of of activists. I couldn't even keep track of all their names. There's what, 10 probably yeah. of them at least? It's another one of those too many characters in the beginning movie, but then you realize it's just because they want to kill off half of them right, right away. And, so. and you don't have to care about them, and, <laughs> and you don't. Uh, or at least I didn't find myself really caring about any of the characters except potentially Justine, but even she, when when she finally does escape, when she comes back, she fabricates a story so that the natives end up looking peaceful and helpful as opposed to brutal. I guess so that they'll be left alone, like so that there won't be any retribution for the death of young American students or something. She can feel that she did make a difference. And that is her version of, of activism now that she's come back. Like she's accomplishing the goal they set out to do, but in a very twisted twilight zony way at the end. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's odd. It's an odd execution. It didn't work. I mean, it didn't work for me. I don't know. I, I, I don't require that my movies, like, have a moral message. Right. But when you have a movie that seems to be trying to wrap a moral message around it, that's got to be solid. 
And this, to me, was on shaky ground. Yeah, I can agree with that 100%. It almost... It might have been less hokey if they had not tried to push that so hard. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a good point. I I think that if we had just, okay, these are young college activists. It's not like that's a rarity. You know that you find that on any college campus. If we could have just kind of appreciated their motives and then maybe seen the, the flaws of their perspective but not have it so heavy-handed, I, I think maybe it would have come across better. But you're right. I don't, you know, I'm not going out looking for horror movies that have some kind of deep message, but when the attempt is made and it falls flat, you notice. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's kind of the case here. Yeah, well, it definitely makes it stand out a bit. I, I appreciate he was trying to do something a little different. Clearly, this is an homage to those right. films. Yeah, he was a huge fan of those films. I and mean, mm-hmm. this he was really inspired by uh, Cannibal Holocaust to do this film. In, in fact, the original shooting title of Cannibal Holocaust was The Green Inferno. Yeah. So obviously, he's trying to pay tribute to this genre that really kind of just came and went in a heartbeat. You know, yeah. sometime in the late 70s, early 80s, these can- there were a handful of these cannibal movies and they were really sensationalized. The the creator or director, I suppose, of uh, Cannibal Holocaust was, well, his plan was to try to fool people into thinking it was an actual documentary. And it worked so mm-hmm. much so that he was brought before uh, a judge to be, you know, questioned about the disappearance of these actors or the people in his thing and then he produced them he had asked them to lay low yeah. um to keep it believable um but he produced them and of course then everything was fine but then you know there was cannibal ferox and then a few other a little bit less well known and then the genre just kind of faded away yeah for the most part that's surprising too because usually with these exploitation genres they they tend to have long legs even if the movies aren't that great you take something and you go with it. We got zombies still going on. We got vampires still going on. We have all of these things really in the horror genre that have lasted for decades. And that came and went like a flash in the pan. And I was asking myself why today? And maybe after seeing this movie, I just realized that there really aren't a lot of places you can go with Right. It. What do you do beyond naive Westerner meets their ancient counterparts or whatever and either tries to be the imperialist and come and invade them and gets their comeuppance what do you do with horror beyond that you know you really don't so uh, you're gonna see the same movie over and over and over again and even that gets uh you know you you can't do anything new right and like i said you know once they get to the jungle i mean that's very much just what it is i mean they're they're captured and then there's and gosh there's there's lots of things i want to talk about but um, well let's go back to when they get to the jungle cuz the first thing is they they do their duty right right they, they, there is a plan the uh, alejandro is the main uh, leader of this group act and he's very serious and very brooding and really just an ass super pretentious but he has this intel i suppose about this company that wants to harvest natural gas from underneath this tribe in the rainforest in Peru. Have you ever had fantasies of saving a dying tribe? Of protecting them from encroaching civilization? Well, an opportunity has come up to turn that fantasy into reality. For those of you who care enough to join us. In two weeks, an untouched jungle in the Peruvian Amazon will be destroyed forever. And so will the natives inside it. The companies want the natural gas in the ground under the villages. So they GPS the location, bulldoze the homes, and kill the natives. Ancient tribes, seen only rare glimpses from satellite photos, will be gone forever. So what's the plan? March into the jungle and starve yourself? You must be a freshman. Yes. Why? Because only a freshman would speak with such insolence. You can leave now. And so he has set it up so that they will go where the people are dozing the rainforest, and they'll just do a demonstration. Now, they say it's going to be a peaceful demonstration, 
but they end up blowing up. I mean, the first thing they do to draw attention to themselves is set off a bomb. You know, that's not what I would be doing if I were confronting a, a foreign militia. But yeah. they, they go and they, they chain themselves in the protest. And really, <laughs> as far as they know at the time, the protest is successful. Right. Their scheme is that they all have cameras. And even though you can't get a cell signal anywhere out in the jungle, he is set up. Or somebody has set up uh, some kind of satellite network or some kind of network that's going to be... they hacked a satellite. That's it. All right. That's going to be around that area. So their guns are their cell phones, is right. what they say. And even though this construction company has a militia uh, that could potentially turn on them, because they're live streaming all their cameras to the world, that's supposed to save them. And it does. Well, and, and that is very timely. I mean, yeah. th- with you know handheld cameras in everybody's pocket, you know we're seeing all kinds of things that maybe lurked in the shadows in, in years before that we didn't have such access to. And so, I, you know, that's that's kind of realistic, really. Um, well, even the turn about natural gas, usually it's cutting down the rainforest for the wood, which right. is such a dated thing. All right, that makes a little more sense, I guess. <laughs> but it, see, I mean, so even yeah. With fracking, I think you don't need to do that. But right. <laughs> I mean, it, it, so it appears that their protest is successful, but what our main character, Justine, finds out is that she's been a pawn in all of this. The reason that they recruited her, and they did, she didn't. She was interested in their activity, but they specifically recruited her because she had mentioned in that anthropology class that her father was a lawyer for the UN. So they bring her along so that they can intentionally put her in peril and say, this is a daughter of someone who works for the UN and it works. But of course she had no idea that she was playing this role and really putting herself at very serious risk. And so then she's ticked off and they get back in the plane and it seems like everything has gone well. They're celebrating in the plane but then the plane crashes. And the plane crash scene was kind of cool, at least. Yeah, it was. Kind of uh, fun. It was like one of those where you actually get to see people turning around upside down as they're twirling from inside the car, and a guy's kind of puking all over himself, right, right. and it's going. And it was a prop plane, which was weird because there was kind of an explosion from one of the wings, which... I was thinking, why would that be? Uh, later on, we figure out maybe their plane was, was sabotaged. sabotaged. But at the time, that was a question that you know kind of came up in my head. Right. The engine just blows, like out of nowhere. There's no warning. Yeah. It's just from the propeller starts shooting flames and smoke. And they're now in the jungle. The only phone that could potentially reach somebody is this GPS-enabled satellite phone that they brought. Yeah, I guess it's like part of the plane equipment, I guess. I I don't know. And once they kind of get their heads on straight, they are looking for this, and that is when uh, some people show up who happen to be the tribe and start killing them. Right. And the reason, or at least the reason that's provided, now, the, the tribe is just established as being cannibalistic, um, which from what I read is not particularly realistic because there are no native cannibal tribes uh, left in that area. But what Ale, once they've been captured and they're taken back to the native village, Alejandro tells them the reason they're doing this is because they think that we're the enemy. When they had done their protest, they had dressed themselves in the uniform of the construction crew that they were protesting. So these natives, of course, they don't share a language at all. So these natives assume that these are the members. Yeah. Workers, so, yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense it that does. they would act violently towards them. And that was one of the things I'm a little bit conflicted. And I'm really interested to see what you think, because the actors who play this native tribe are not actors. No. Uh, this is an actual, I guess, Peruvian uh, native tribe that they... The film crew, you know, went deep into uh, the Peruvian rainforest and filmed with this actual tribe. And and in some regards, I just think that is so cool because yeah. we get a little bit of a glimpse, even though I'm sure it's fictionalized, even sh- though I'm sure that, oh, you know, there was, yeah, there, there was, problem. right. I'm sure there was a set dresser and a makeup artist and all that stuff, but these are actual native people. On one hand, I think that's really cool. On the other hand, I ask myself, is this exploitive? Yeah. What do you think? That's a good question. I mean, he did take a, a page right out of Diodato's playbook because he did the exact same thing when he went to film uh, Cannibal Holocaust. In fact, you can notice that the natives in that film who are doing some of the more kind of brutal, there's there's a rape scene with a rock in that movie that's kind of gross, and you can tell that 
you can tell he looks so different from everybody else. He seems like a Westerner dressed up right. in, in makeup. So you could see that even Diodato was a little uncomfortable involving those those folks in everything that he filmed. I don't know if that were the case in this movie. I was very interested to know if the tribal leaders in this film were actual natives or if they were actors dressed up. Did you happen to I was a li- Well, I was a little bit confused because I think I read, and I think that what I read was that these people who portrayed the tribal leaders were actual tribal people. But then I think that I also read that Roth had either worked or consulted with them before. And I don't know that oh. those puzzle pieces don't come together in my head. So I'm not entirely sure. What I do know is that they approached these people and when they tried to explain to them what they were asking them to do, there was just utter confusion because they didn't even have any concept of what a film was. Mm -hmm. Um, And so... (laughs) And I don't know how I feel about this either. What Roth did was he brought in a TV and played for them Cannibal Holocaust. You know, it's getting right to the point, and it's being totally upfront and honest with them about what they're going to do. I suppose so. Well, and apparently they loved it. In they fact, thought it was a comedy. They thought right? it was hilarious. <laughs> and they were right on board. I think I read something that almost 100% of the tribe signed on to do this, including the children. There's very small children in it, and these yeah. are uh, native tribal children. And uh, it, it it is effective. I mean, the the visual is, is effective. I mean, these really do look like because they are um native peoples uh and and i guess in a in a way that the film kind of has that going for it i mean mm-hmm. that's kind of one of the positive little authenticity of yeah, some kind right i think where the authenticity obviously breaks down is that this isn't a portrayal of how they actually are and act exactly and that's where we start to get uncomfortable and we wonder are you taking advantage of these people because right. even though they've agreed to be in this film do they actually understand how their portrayal in this film is going to be taken in and uh, represented and interpreted by the world. Right. The Uh, image that they're projecting of themselves. And it would make sense that they wouldn't understand that concept. Uh, They, you know, I I doubt that they even would understand the concept of mass media, that other people might be seeing this. mm -hmm. And and I don't mean to be culturally insensitive. I, I, I would just assume that without that kind of exposure to our culture, that they just wouldn't know. Um, But I don't know. I mean, what I do know is that uh, they enjoyed doing it, you know, apparently based on reports, so much so that uh, after filming was done, they approached the, I think it was the set designer or something along those lines, and offered him or her a two-year-old child (laughs) as a sign of their gratitude. Um, And of course, the production designer declined, but, uh, you know, it appears that they were on board. And and I, I want to believe that because I, I don't want to believe that these people are being taken advantage of. Well, if the people see it in the way, and maybe they won't see it exactly this way because they don't have the context, but perhaps this was in their hearts that, well, we're just acting. And that's sort of how every actor is. Somebody's got to play the bad guy. Right. It doesn't make them a bad guy. People have to portray horrible things that happen in film and stories in order to be told have to portray horrible things happening to people but it doesn't mean that the filmmakers or the actors involved condone that in fact oftentimes the message is quite opposite right this film muddies it a little bit because what really is the message in regards to the tribe there's a part of me that just wants to say well hey if they were enthused about it and they were fully upfront with the kind of film they're making and they showed them <laughs> cannibal holocaust mm-hmm. And it's certainly not Cannibal Holocaust, but it's right in the same line. Yeah. Um, And they were cool with it, and they seemed to understand what they were doing, and they were grateful for it afterwards. There's a part of me that wants to say, nobody's really being hurt or exploited here. That maybe a modern audience is sophisticated enough to realize that this is not an accurate portrayal of this tribe. And therefore we're all cool and it's not going to get misinterpreted. Right, and it's it's not a documentary, and it's not trying to present itself as such as Cannibal Holocaust. Holocaust did. Correct. Um, so, you know, it's it's fiction. Whether or not a viewer comes to the determination that it's exploitive or not, I really don't think that Eli Roth was trying to exploit these people. Oh, absolutely not. In fact, I really think that his intended message was that they are not the bad guy. You know, they are just going about doing, their, what, they do. doing what they do. And it's only because of the interference of outsiders 
that bad things happen to those outsiders. You yeah. know, they've inserted themselves where they're not wanted, where they're not needed. They're disrupting a life. They're disrupting a culture. Uh, and in the end, I think that we are meant to at least in some way be sympathetic towards the native people and see that really these other people, as good intentioned as they may have been, kind of brought this on themselves. In that they were in, in over their head. That, that's where I feel like the moral message kind of gets muddied. If it were the construction workers getting their comeuppance, if it were, that message would be extremely clear. In this case, these kids, at least we think, saved this tribe by their actions against the construction workers, you know? And they were on this plane. It was only through just a series of sad coincidences that they ended up in the hands of this tribe again mm -hmm. over some mistaken identity. And then... The, you know, the idea is, well, you guys were always in over your head, and this is your comeuppance. It's not really fair. It doesn't have to be, I guess. Horror movies are usually not fair. Right. <laughs> They're showing sort of an evil. And that's what happens. But in this case, there is no evil, as you just explained. The tribe is doing their thing. These kids were trying to help them. And now they're the ones who are going to get punished. And... uh Maybe that's why, in the end, she kind of comes around and ends up helping them anyway. I guess so. And I think that it, we need to mention the fact that, really, the the vast majority of these, these young kids really did have the best of intentions, and they really thought that they were helping. As it turns out, Alejandro, the main guy... For him, it was entirely exploitive. This mission that they're going on, he knows that, in fact, it's futile. Yep, uh, it was a all, sham. It was a sham. We didn't stop anything. We just delayed it by a day or two. What are you talking about? It's all a PR stunt. Carlos was hired by a competing company to stop them from reaching the village first. So, we did. He gets paid in our organization known worldwide. You know how many people are going to join us after this? Now we can make real change. You kind, you do have to feel sorry for the ones that really thought that they were helping. They didn't have negative motives. All Alejandro wanted was publicity. He wanted to get their group's image out there so that they could draw in more members and so then that they could really make a difference. Um, but it's, you know, on his part, it's just entirely ego. And, and that was my second disappointment of the movie. I thought that was so convoluted. Uh, there's so many holes in this plot to go to some random college somewhere scrounge up a bunch of random members, somehow convince them to get into this a little over their heads when really they, they should have known what they were getting into to do this elaborate stunt. Why couldn't you just recruit some locals to do the same thing? It, the, who they were didn't matter. Right. It was that they had cell phones. And I find it really hard to believe that even that the fact that this girl was the daughter of a UN lawyer was really necessary to get them to stop shooting. I sort of felt like those guys, they knew they were being filmed. Right. And they knew they were being uploaded. It didn't matter who they shot. Their heads would roll if they started opening fire on this group of protesters well, in I front think of that, the world. Yeah, I think that what Alejandro's idea was, was that because she was the daughter of somebody who worked for the United Nations, that would cause more international uproar. Yeah. I don't know if that's the case or not, but I think that's what they were thinking. Well, that's true. But uh, wouldn't they have done this? anyway, even if she had decided oh, sure. not to join yeah, the group. I'm so, sure they would have. It wasn't critical to the plan. No. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was, a, it was a twist that was kind of interesting and kind of nice, and it gives them uh, reason to think about waiting it out there, which you have to do in a movie like this. You've got to create a situation where you've created choices for these characters. When you're locked in a cage, and that's what happens, they grab them all, the, the five or six leftover people, mm -hmm. throw them in a cage, and cut up the fat guy. <laughs> right, right, immediately, and, and cook him up and eat him. Cook him up <clears> in a smoker, and it's it's kind of funny, uh, in a way. You're in a cage. Uh, your choices are, really, to break out. There is nothing else you can right. possibly do but try to break out because you know you're going to die. However, if you have a very real choice to stay there, because help might be on right. its way, meaning this rival company is going to come in anyway uh, in three days, now you have some more dramatic conflict. Should they stay? Should they try to break out? Now breaking out is inherently more risky than it used to be. 
Right. You know? Well, and that's the thing. I liked that they portrayed it in such a way that it wasn't just outwitting the dumb natives. You know, these, these natives were very efficient. You know, yeah. they they had guards on them all the time. Except they, they couldn't build a good cage. <laughs> these <laughs> right. guys just need to put a few more poles across that cage, and well, they wouldn't have had to have a guard standing over right. it all the I time. Right, I mean, it, but it wasn't meant... <laughs> It wasn't meant for people. It was their hog cage. You That's know, they, they cleared the hogs out before they put the people in. I don't think That's hogs are going to be crawling out the top. That's a good point. Um, I forget that, yes. Right. <laughs> and, you know, it, as far as plot is concerned, once they get there, like you said, immediately, the fat guy, who, which, you know, you, you totally see this coming. Oh, yeah. Obviously, he's the one who's got the most meat. He's the one they'll take out first. But he's also one of the only likable characters uh, in the beginning yes. of the movie, so it's kind of sad to see him go. And... They they don't really hold back on the gore. There's quite a bit of gore. I mean, this guy they hold him down, uh, and the tribe, what I what I interpret as being the tribe leader, was was that a a, a woman? I think it was a woman. Yes. I, yeah, I think. She and was. the man was the other person with the bone kind of thing. Right, and he seemed to be like the the primary hunter, or the mm-hmm. leader of the militia, or, or whatever. She was like the witch doctor almost. Right. Kind of um, she digs his eyes out with her bare fingers and uh, eats them right there, cuts his tongue out, and then they just completely dismember him all the while he's still alive, which to me, see, it rang as unrealistic. I mean, if if you've got both of your legs chopped off, one of your arms, your eyeballs gouged out, your tongue cut out, you're at least, at the very least, going to be in shock and probably not, you know, kind of still writhing around. But if, if, if that's what you're looking for, this, I don't think it'll disappoint you. Um, the the I mean, gore is... If is, you're coming to a cannibal movie, right. wanting to see a person getting cut up and eaten, you will right. not be disappointed. Right, exactly right, because you do get it. Now, I will say, Cannibal Holocaust made me a little uncomfortable because of how real it looked and how real it seemed. And now in that movie, some of it was real. There was um, some animal mutilation that was actually yeah. they actually filmed using live animals. And honestly, that is probably the most controversial thing about that film. Right, right. And it, that was a clever thing to do. I mean, it's not it's morally repugnant. Right. But it was a clever thing to do in that mixing that live, that real death with the fake death airs, lends a certain air of uh, not legitimacy, but one of, what's the word I'm looking for? Authenticity yeah, right. to the human death. And that, he didn't go there with this film. He couldn't. No. He couldn't. And you wouldn't want to. Right. But what I was getting at with the effects here, I mean, they're I assume they were adequate, but there was something, and maybe it's because he showed too much, that it didn't seem real. No. I mean, it seemed like decent effects. I mean, it was very bloody, but there was one point in particular when um, one of the tribeswomen was preparing the torso of this big guy, whatever his name was, uh, and it was completely apparent that it was a completely hollowed out yeah, shell. Yeah, just lifts it right up. Right. Uh, and it just, mo- with the slightest touch, it moves. I mean, this is a big, heavy guy. This it's guy's not- torso would have been 100 pounds at Right, least. oh, at yeah. least. Uh, so there was a little bit... I don't know. Uh, it, it pulled me out a little bit and made it less scary and less effective because even though, you know, you go into these movies, you know it's not real. Yeah, but, but when it's visibly obvious that it's not real, it, it kind of pulls you out. It gets it. hokey and, um, no, I agree with you completely. I, I felt the same way watching that. Watching most of the gore effects, actually. <laughs> the same effects were probably more effective back when the footage was more grimy and gritty. And, right. But yeah, so it did. It took me out of it too. The other thing that took me out of this movie, and it was just a distracting element, but it had to do with the filmmaking, was that this movie was obviously shot on video. And the reason you can tell is that the dynamic range is terrible. When they're in the boat or in the woods, the sky is completely blown out. You know, all the highlights are bright white. You can never get both shadow and light in the same scene. To me, it was so distracting. And it's a shame because this environment is so lush and beautiful. Right. You're shooting in the jungle. I'm not one to get into the film versus video battle. I really don't care. To me, I think shoot it on video, that's fine. But it's a shame when you have this opportunity for beautiful pictures and beautiful images in this environment and you're shooting on a medium where the water... Everywhere the water, the water just looks muddy because everywhere it glistens is just a bright white and kind of runs together. Or you get a shot of the side of the mountain or whatever, and they haven't filtered out the sky and brought it down. So the mountain looks great and stuff, but there's the sky is just this bright white. 
you know, I could show you examples. Well, no, <laughs> what I, I'm talking about, but you know, well, you know. I, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know anything about the technical side of it, but I did notice, particularly in the beginning, that you know the colors were very, very bright. Mm. I mean, it, it felt oversaturated. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't think it looked bad. I mean, I, I, there was a crispness to it that I thought was okay. Um, and maybe I was just taken in by kind of the natural beauty. And again, I think that's one of the strengths of the film is that they really did shoot on location and it is really a gorgeous backdrop to set this film against. So I'll take your word on the technical stuff, but it didn't bother me as much. I did notice the really super bright colors, particularly in the beginning and the clothing that they were wearing. And it was very bright. It was, a, I mean, this whole film is, it almost entirely takes place during the day. Yeah, right? you're right. It does. Um, <clears throat> And uh, it very, very bright throughout. From there, I mean, they're basically just held captive. They're they're waiting. After Alejandro reveals the truth that there's really going to be another construction crew coming, they're kind of just waiting it out. However, there's one girl who can't just sit and wait. And I guess before that, we should say there are three girls there, uh, including our main girl, Justine. Almost immediately, I think it's the morning of the, the second day that they're there, they take all the girls out. And they stripped them, and of course, we know that they had had that exposition where it was all about the female genital mutilation, so we know what's going on. <laughs> they they stripped them from the waist down, the witch doctor lady or whatever she is, kind of, I guess, examines them. Now, I didn't really understand what was going on here, because she, she's she got this kind of, like, hooky, hooky claw, claw kind of thing, and she appears, now you don't see it in Detail. direct shot, but it appears that she penetrates their genitals um, and she does that to the first two girls and they seem very uncomfortable as obviously they would be but not necessarily in terrible pain so it doesn't seem that she's trying to hurt them at the moment but then she goes to justine last and when she removes herself there's blood now did you take that to mean that she was menstruating yes okay that's how i took it and it took me a while to figure to put that together too uh, that's really the only explanation. The only other explanation is she cut her somehow. Right. But, but she kind of lifts it in the air and everybody sort it's of celebratory. Right. Which was strange, but okay. So. Right. And she marks her on the forehead and they take the other two girls back to the boys, but they take Justine away. Into a big hut. Right. They, they blow some magic dust in her face and she passes out and they take her into this hut. When she eventually, she does eventually come back, but she's been painted, ceremoniously painted. And so they, they believe that they know what's going to happen. I don't know. I have no idea what the menstruation part had to do with it. But um, here's my guess. And this is a lousy guess. But my guess was that since we learned that this was a rite of womanhood, my guess is that you don't get female castration until you start menstruating. And so she was checking them to see which of them was menstruating in case the other two hadn't started their period. But they're both old enough right. that they would. I don't know, but it doesn't make a lot of sense because this is the enemy. Right. And why would they be doing this at all? At first, <laughs> and, and this is this is terrible to say, again, I'm not trying to be culturally insensitive, but at first I thought the tribes, uh, the, the witch doctor person was a man. She's androgynous. Yeah, um, it's hard and, to and, tell. Until the end, um, where you get some side views of her and it, it, it appears that she has female breasts. But at first I thought it was a man and I I thought that maybe he was selecting one of them to kind of be a concubine or something did, along those. You did worry that maybe she was just going to get massively raped uh, right. in that cabin, and it didn't appear to be the case. No, but I still don't understand really what the purpose was. You know, they one of the girls. So there's three girls. Two of them, the other two who are not Justine, are a lesbian couple. One of them is kind of the tough, I can get all the girls I want lesbian. And the other one is kind of the, I'm sweet and naive, you know, college freshman lesbian. Um, <clears throat> you know, those two types. Right, exactly. And, uh, <laughs> and, well, uh, and the one girl's got a lot of tattoos on Right, too, the yeah. tough one, right. Yeah. And so she decides that because she had run track that she would be able to escape. So she tries to escape and it appears at first that she does. But then later on, the natives give the remaining prisoners some food and it appears just to be vegetables. I think they say it's like boiled scraps or something yeah. like that. I don't know. They eat it. Um, and the other, the, the blonde girl, the girlfriend gets to the bottom of her bowl and there's blood in the bottom and she looks out and she sees the native children playing with scraps of skin with the tattoos of yeah. her girlfriend on them. And so then... Well, there's she, not just blood. 
that I think is one of her tattoos. Was it in the bowl? Yeah, I think oh, it was a flat you're piece. Right. And it again it was hard to tell, but you had to kind of put two and two together you're after right. seeing the Now other. that you say so, it makes sense. I was yeah. thinking it was a design in the bottom of the bowl, but you're absolutely right, it was one of her tattoos. And so that was she, kind of funny actually. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and so she, the remaining girl, uh, breaks that bowl that she had been served in and, and slices her own throat. So none of the women are ever killed by the tribe except for when they first crash, there's one woman who tries to approach them who gets killed, and then the woman who tried to escape. So I don't know if they were planning on keeping all of the women Mm. or if if Justine had been marked for something special. I have no idea. I guess in the end it doesn't really matter. But I I was questioning what was it specifically about her, aside from the fact that she was menstruating, that made them give her special attention. Yeah, that would that'd be the only thing that makes sense is you have to imagine some sort of cultural thing where they don't just kill all their enemies, they take the women and if they qualify they recruit them into the tribe or they keep them as a concubine or a childbearer or or something. And that would be Probably the best explanation for why then they would go through this, mark her for eventual genital mutilation. And then, you know, from that point, it's well, just, just... But but what they do, though, to the to the dead girl in the cage... Oh, right. Is, <laughs> I can't uh, believe I almost forgot what, that. Because this is the hokiest part oh, of the whole movie. Oh, my gosh, it's my, so silly. They get this idea... One of the guys earlier on the plane scores a bag of marijuana, and he still had it tucked in his shoe, and so their idea is to take this bag of marijuana, this little bag of pot, <laughs> and stuff it down this girl's, this dead girl's throat, and they use a stick and everything yeah. to get it way down into her stomach. The idea being that when they put her in this smoker, it's going to get She's going to be like high. a giant pot brownie. <laughs> and we're, th- we're sitting here both of us saying, that is so stupid. It is the dumbest thing. <laughs> it's never going to work. And not only that, but like it was in like a Ziploc bag and they shoved it down her throat in the Ziploc bag. I would think if they wanted the drug, the THC to permeate, they would have at least opened it and like put it in there. You'd but... really want to season the meat. You'd want right. to use like one of those uh, spice injectors really to get it down in there exactly. whole. But of course that happens, you know, even though this smoker is by one hut in this rather large complex, everybody's gathered around it, and I guess they all inhale enough of the smoke, or they eat Eat, enough of her flesh. That they all get, like, fall on their ass stoned. Yeah, and uh, that gives the others, uh, two of the others, a chance to escape. It's uh, Justine and Daniel. Right. Right? They escape, and as the other guy, I don't ever... Caught, I never caught the, his name. The stoner guy. The stoner That's all guy I could ever figure out. Tries to get out. Alejandro picks up a one of these mag- magical poison darts and stabs him with it so that he passes out instantly. Right. <laughs> and falls down into the cage and basically says to them, uh, well, I'm not going to stay back in this cage by myself or else I will totally get eaten. I guess the but, idea is that they can't all leave at once? I have no idea. I still don't under... I still have no idea. He, What I thought he said was something like, if I'm just going to wait here to be saved, I can't be alone. I because think- there was never any suggestion, as far as I saw, that they weren't planning on helping him escape, too. Yeah, well... To me, my thought was, because the cage was tall enough they had to hoist people up, that naturally there's nobody there to hoist that last person, and so one of them was going to have to stay. Alejandro, my my interpretation of that was that he said, if I'm the only guy left in this cage, they're going to kill me for sure. Right. Whereas if there are two of us left... I've Maybe got you can buy some time. Buy some time, and that's why he... That still doesn't make sense, because he's such a dick. He could have just insisted on going first, and left the other kid behind, the- or... We saw later how he himself lifted himself and hoisted yeah. himself to the top of the cage. He could have just done that, and they would have lifted him the rest of the way. It makes no sense. And the more that we talk about it, the more I think of other things that make no sense. The character of Alejandro is just an ass. At one point, it's right after, I think, that the blonde girl had slit her own throat. <sighs> he just starts jerking off. What the f*** are you doing? If we don't want to end up like the others, you'd be wise to do the same. You're psychotic. I'm not psychotic. When your body's under stress, the only way to think clearly is to find a release. Like, like who does that? It was the dumbest. It was so stupid. I had no idea what they were... I mean, he had already been established as a total ass, but that's just like... 
Why was that even in there? <laughs> it doesn't even well, make any sense. The other dumb thing that was in there was when the girl had to, uh, the massive diarrhea and she was oh. over the corner. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how juvenile. I know. Is this and going it's to totally, get? you know, fart noises and, uh, and the whole time. And all, for like a minute. And then, of course, the native kids are like waving their noses and laughing. Yeah, really dumb. <laughs> and see, that's the kind of thing where. <laughs> If you're going to go there, go all the way. Yeah. But if you're going to just pepper those moments in, it just seems stupid. It's just like, we don't need this. It throws off the tone. Yeah. You've got these horrible things happening in this pretty serious situation, uh, and it's played that way. But then there are these weird moments of not even good comedy. No. Very juvenile, not even good juvenile comedy. Yeah. Just shoved in, like pot down a dead girl's uh, throat. Right. And then when the stoner guy comes to, a couple of the natives are huddling over him, giggling, and he, you know, tries to kind of entertain them. Um, but then they start trying to take bites out of it, and he's like, they have the munchies! They have the munchies! Sorry. I can't. That was another part that just took me completely just made me throw my hands up in the air this movie now they're sort of zombie cannibals now they'll just eat someone alive without going through the preparation process that they've done for the last couple people yeah. uh they just bite people right and and they did they just swarmed around oh, everybody just ate them alive the kids and everything mm-hmm. it was straight out of dawn of the dead yeah it was just like that scene where the guy's getting ripped up yeah. and I thought oh my gosh it was is, really silly this is dumb Justine and one of the other guys I don't remember his name they get away they run Daniel. away they see smoke so they assume that's the construction crew but um she has to kind of jump over this little part of the river to, for them to keep going and she steps into it not realizing it's deep and she falls in and gets swept away and that I had read about and it was kind of scary to watch because I read that the actress nearly drowned I mean she was really in the river uh, and really struggling and it wasn't until the filmmakers realized that her cries for help were real cries for help that yeah. they, they went to aid her and some they what I read is that some of that made it into the film and it looked scary it, it did. looked like she was drowning. It looked like she was really struggling. But, uh, so, they get them back. Okay, he, the guy that she's with helps her back out. They go to the plane where there's a total nod to Hannibal Cannibal Holocaust. (laughs) So hard to say. Two movies, uh, separate. Hannibal's not in Cannibal Holocaust. Exactly. Um, But uh, a little homage there where the people who were killed on the crash are now impaled on poles, kind of as a warning. That's one of the most famous (laughs) images from uh, Cannibal Holocaust. One of the most awesome and just looks so real. It looks so real. Yeah. They uh, they had to prove in court that it wasn't real. They had to demonstrate how they did it. (laughs) But uh, then they get recaptured and she again gets prepared for the genital mutilation ceremony. Uh, She's repainted. She's tied up. Um, They tie up the guy that she was with on a pole and smear him with something which lures ants which kind of eat him alive. But eventually throughout the course of the film Justine has been trying to make a connection with this young native boy um, yeah, she's a flautist, and she has a little flute uh, necklace, necklace that her that, mother gave her. Well, it was used. What was it? Her grandmother's smelted down silver, so something right. like that. So it's. I mean, everything you could possibly do to make this a precious family heirloom. Yeah, this is it. <laughs> Aside from putting a curse on it that she should never take it off. <laughs> you know, she's looking to the kid for help, and he's kind of looking on sympathetically, but he doesn't do anything. The wish doctor comes out. She starts to perform the genital mutilation ceremony, but then there's a commotion. And as it turns out, the destruction crew has arrived. Finally, yeah. Right. And so everybody in the tribe has to run to fend them off, leaving Justine still tied up, but not in as immediate danger. And eventually the young boy does, he comes over and he cuts her free. And she knocks out, you know, the woman who had been tending to her. And she goes and tries to help the guy on the pole, but he begs to be killed and she can't do it. But the young boy kind of mercy kills this guy. And, uh, Alejandro is still in the cage and he's yelling, help me, help me, let me out, let me out. And she just kind of looks at him like, F you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And she she takes off running. Do you want to kind of... Well, yeah. And and so after that, she takes off running and uh, runs into the construction workers fighting, shooting the tribesmen. She happens to have the one cell phone that they found, uh, one of the cell phones that they found at the plane site, which was dead. 
And I don't know if it was dead or not. I don't think it was, but it wasn't functioning. It wasn't. Fu- it wasn't she, right. She didn't have a signal. And so when she gets a there, smart gal. right. When she gets there, she realizes, of course, that she's completely decked out in native makeup. <laughs> I thought we were going to come with a night of the living dead situation. Where oh she yeah. Was just going to get shot. I thought for sure she was going to get shot. No question <laughs> at all. But she doesn't. But you see kind of this slaughter of, of this tribe. And, and again, it makes you realize they are not the enemies here. They are just protecting their home. Mm-hmm. But she gets the pretty genius idea to do the same thing that they had done before at the protest, to hold the camera up as though she is videotaping. So they stop. They point the guns at her, but they stop. And uh, the guy says in a foreign language I don't speak, but it sounds like give me the camera or, or get rid of the camera or something. And she throws it down hard enough to smash it, which was really smart because he picks it up to check it to see if she had actually been videotaping and it's totally smashed. So he has no way of knowing. Yep. Um, and that is why they then take her in and, and deliver her back. And she is the, they ask her before she gets on, are you sure there was nobody else? And she goes, yep. <laughs> Nobody else. And then she gives that story to everybody, uh, and they tell her, well, thanks to you and your bravery. Her story is, the plane crashed, I was the only survivor, the tribe took me in and fed me, and I never felt that I was ever in peril or danger. They're angels, and it was only through them that they delivered me, and they say, well, thanks to that, then you you have saved this tribe. And she is a little still kind of having some nightmares about... Which is stupid. That was the weirdest nightmare scene. It was like an end cap. It was one of those things that you wish that you would find on the bonus features. Yeah, like like a deleted deleted scene scene. that ended up in there. It's it's dumb. She dreams that she's walking on campus and Alejandro comes up behind her and says, I did it, I got out. And then she like turns into some kind of monster and bites his face off. It's so random. And she wakes up and, you know, it was a dream and... um, Pretty much, you know, it seems like she's kind of gone back to her life. She's back in the dorm living with her same roommate. And she looks down upon the activists and we, you know, you're not really quite sure what's going through her head, but they have almost co-opted their old Alejandro's face as their Che Guevara or whatever on their t-shirts. And uh, then it goes to the credits. Uh But then in the middle of the credits, you get this weird little bumper scene that makes it seem like they're setting it up for a sequel. And they are. (laughs) Are they doing a sequel? It it Uh, was in the works. Um, But because of all the difficulty they had with getting this one released, I don't know if it'll ever come to pass. But um, they set it up that she gets a telephone call. Hello? Justine? Who's this? My name is Lucia. I'm Alejandro's sister. I'm really sorry. I I actually can't talk right now. I, I found a satellite photo. It looks like my brother. We need to talk. Right, because she would have, like, the coordinates for this <laughs> like, tribe. Like Google Earth uh, right. captured him or something. It doesn't make any sense, but they, they were setting it up for a, uh, a sequel. There was a sequel planned. Um, I, I guess, from what I've read, it's still projected to come out in 2018, but there's not a lot going on you know, with it. I honestly don't feel, my personal opinion is it doesn't deserve a sequel. I didn't think it was that great of a movie. Now, this was shot in 2013. It came out just last year. Right. What were the problems? Do you know? I really... It was studio. Um, it was slated for a release in October of 2015, but the studio went bankrupt. And so then it didn't have a distributor. Mm. And so it kind of floated around looking for a distributor for a long time. And finally, somebody picked it up and they gave it kind of a limited uh, theatrical release. And then um, it went to, you know, uh, streaming and, and whatnot. So I think it was just kind of an unfortunate series of events that led to it not getting released immediately but I think that that may have had some impact on the future of it and and I agree with you but like you were talking about when we first started what what are they going to do yeah. you know, what would they do with the sequel go back you know I mean it's yeah, you're going to do this again? Yeah, rescue same mission? Tribe, uh... No, it, it would just it'd just be rehashing the same movie I don't think it would be worth it again I'm not impressed I'm not impressed with it didn't feel like Eli Roth... It felt like Eli Roth really just wanted to make a cannibal movie. Yeah. 
And all he just did was throw in some ideas, uh, almost in the same way that Adam Sandler makes a movie. Yeah. You know, it's a bunch of jokes thrown together, loosely tied with kind of a theme. Right. But it all, after a while, tonally it's all over the place. It's trying to be funny, but it fails half the time. And it's then trying to be serious, but then you can't even take it seriously because there are all these elements that pull you out of it. Right. Uh, that it's just kind of a jumbled mess. I almost feel bad agreeing with you because I've heard him talk about this in interviews and it really seems like this was kind of his passion project. Like this is really what he's been wanting to do for a long time. And I wouldn't say it was a horrible movie. I've certainly seen worse. It just wasn't that good. I mean, yeah. it, it was just okay. There there was some poor acting, particularly in the beginning. You know, you had your issues with uh, the cinematography. The, the silly humor that was trying to be injected didn't make any sense for the content of the film. There was... I think an attempt at social commentary that really just kind of felt heavy handed and fell flat. It didn't work for me either. I didn't hate it. I wouldn't tell people, oh, don't watch it. It's a complete waste of your time. If you are nostalgic for those kind of cannibal movies, it's all right. I would say I would. I would say that it's kind of a waste of your time because I think there are better movies out there, you know? Yeah, I mean, if you really, if you haven't seen Cannibal Holocaust, watch that one. Oh my gosh, I mean, it, yeah. it seems so much low, much more low budget and it definitely shows its age, but it's a better film. It I mean, really... it's, it's a well-made film. Mm-hmm. As disturbing as it may be, it, it's well done. Certainly better than this one. When we do our Cannibal Holocaust thing, that podcast is going to be like even longer than this one. It's going to be like two hours. Just because there's so much to say about that movie. Yeah. This movie's just not in the same caliber. No, it's not, unfortunately. Sorry, Eli. <laughs> I'm sure you're listening with bated breath. But, we um, really wanted to like it. We did. I was really looking forward to it. I've been, And because it's been delayed for so long, I've been looking forward to it for a long time. I, I didn't hate it. I'm not going to go home and, and uh, be upset that, that we watched it, but I don't think I'll watch it again. Yeah. We'll look forward to the sequel and, and hope that we'll okay. see lessons. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to us here on Two Guys in a Chainsaw. Please check us out on Facebook. Like us there. If you like what you heard today, please share this podcast with a friend. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. And uh, we will be coming back to you next week with another film. Until then, this is Todd and Craig with Two Guys in a Chainsaw. 